And good morning, church family. With the holiday season now over, we can return to our series through the book of Revelation. So if you would, please, uh, take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 together this morning. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 1032. I've entitled today's message, Silence in Heaven, and the subject of my message will be prayer. I think I'd like to begin by reading through the text this morning, and then I'll offer a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Here's what the Apostle John writes. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Let's bow together. Our Lord, we give you our thanks for another Sunday morning in which to gather We thank you for seeing us through another calendar year. We thank you for all the blessings of that year, and we look with anticipation at what you have in store for us in 2023. Lord, as we resume our series through the book of Revelation, and as we come now to chapter 8, I pray that you would use this text to give us a new sense of, of the glory and of the privilege of prayer. And of the ways that you use prayer to accomplish your purposes in the world. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in this time spent together in your word. I pray that you would do a spiritual work in the hearts of every person listening to my voice. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So question 105 of the Baptist Catechism asks this. What is prayer? And the answer, in part, is the following. Prayer is offering up our desires to God by the assistance of the Holy Spirit to things agreeable to His will. Now, this is a good starting definition for prayer. And we could supplement this definition with many passages of Scripture. For example, Exodus 32 describes prayer as beseeching the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 1 describes it as pouring out the soul before the Lord. 2 Chronicles 32 calls it crying to heaven. Job chapter 8 calls prayer seeking unto God and making supplication to him. Psalm 73 calls it drawing near to God. And Ephesians chapter 3 calls it bowing the knee before God. And prayer is a major theme in the scriptures, and it's also to be a major part of the Christian life. And yet, we Christians often find this a very difficult spiritual discipline to master. 
I think there are a lot of reasons why it's so difficult for us. Part of it is owing to our own sin natures. Okay? Every single one of us here struggles with, with pride, with ingratitude, with, um, with uh, moments of unbelief. I think all of these have the tendency to hinder our prayer lives. But then I think the busyness of life can also get in the way between work and family responsibilities, uh, time spent in recreation, maybe even church activities. All of this just fills up our calendars, and we can neglect to devote real time to prayer. Friends, I think if we could just get a better sense of the value which God places on our prayers, and if we could get a sense of the pleasure that God takes in our prayers... And I think if, if we could get a better sense of the way that, that God has determined to use our prayers to accomplish His good purposes in the world, then maybe, maybe we would find the motivation we need to really dedicate ourselves to this important work. And this leads us into today's text, which again is Revelation 8, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is a passage which outlines more events in the coming day of the Lord, but it's also a passage that speaks to the, the glory of prayer. So we're going to walk through this passage together, and we will try to make application of it to our prayer lives. Okay, so let's get started now, and we begin in verse 1. Here the Apostle John writes the following. He says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, if you've been with us for the entire series thus far you understand exactly what is being said in this verse. However, if you've been away from us, this may be a little bit murky. So allow me to take just a few moments to recap. All right, going all the way back to chapter 4. The Apostle John is granted a vision of the throne room of God. And he sees God himself there. He's sitting on his throne. He's in all of his heavenly glory. John also sees angels and saints gathered around the throne, and they are offering their worship to God. Then in chapter 5, the Apostle John notices a scroll in God's right hand, and this scroll is sealed with seven seals. This scroll represents God's plans for the culmination of human history, specifically for the day of the Lord, that future time of judgments and salvation which will culminate in the arrival of the kingdom of God on earth. That's all contained in God's scroll. And then a call gets, gets sent out. Who is worthy to take this scroll and to open its seals? In other words, the plans in the scroll are God's, but he has also decided to delegate the responsibility of executing the plan to another. And so he's asking the question, who is qualified to take this scroll to begin implementing my plans. At first it appears that nobody is, is qualified to take the scroll, and so there's great sadness in heaven. But then finally, a lamb steps up to the throne, and this lamb is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we learn in that chapter that Christ alone is qualified to take the Father's scroll and to break its seals. And that is because Christ is the eternal Son of God. And more than that, He's the one that God appointed to come to earth, to live, die, and rise again to secure the salvation of His church. He is also the one that God has appointed to rule as King over the kingdom of God on earth. And so again, He is the only one qualified to take the scroll. 
Well, then we come to Revelation chapter 6, and we, we witness Christ, the Lamb, taking hold of the scroll, and he begins to break the seven seals. And as he breaks each seal, it introduces a round of divine judgments on the world of unbelief. We see a series of a very dramatic judgments unfold, things like uh, the, the triumph of violence on the earth. We see natural disasters, pestilence, a, a whole host of judgments fall. But then we come to chapter 7, and we find this time period is also filled with God's saving works. So even as judgments are being administered throughout the world, the Holy Spirit of God is also being sent forth, and He is redeeming many people. We see Him save a multitude of ethnic Israelites, and then we see Him save a multitude from all the nations of the world. God is saving even as He is judging Now we come to the start of chapter 8. And here at the beginning of chapter 8, we finally get to witness Christ break the last seal on that scroll. You see it here in verse 1. He takes that scroll, he opens the seventh, the last seal. But then something surprising happens. It says, upon the breaking of that seal, there was silence in heaven. And that silence lasted for about a half an hour. This is surprising because in the prior six seals, when Christ broke the seal, it introduced a lot of noise. Remember the the noise of the horsemen riding out into the the earth? And there was the noise of thunder and and lightning and peals of uh, of thunder, the roar of waves as as God's judgments are, are being meted out. And there's the noise of the heavenly choirs as they're worshiping God for his works. Every, every seal so far has introduced tremendous noise in the narrative. But now, with this last seal, it's broken and a hush comes over all of heaven. What's going on here? Well, this is a very solemn occasion. So all in heaven are holding their peace. Everyone is waiting with anticipation to find out what's going to happen now. I mean, the scroll is now finished. The last seal broken. The the last of the provisions of the scroll are going to be read. What, What happens now? What comes next? And so everyone, everyone goes silent to find out. And as we continue on with verses 2 and following, we see what happens next. We see that a little ceremony unfolds in heaven. Verse 2 says, Then, that is subsequent to the half hour of silence, then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Okay, so the seal is broken. A half hour of silence commences as people wait to see what's going to come next. Now the first thing to come next is, is the passing out of seven trumpets to seven angels around the throne of God. Friends, these seven trumpets were released by that seventh seal. This is what was at the end of the scroll. From it emerged seven trumpets. Now these seven trumpets are being handed out to seven designated angels. And as we will see later in this chapter, these seven trumpets, once they are blasted, 
they will, they will inaugurate the next round of divine judgments. They'll open up a new phase in the day of the Lord. But for now, the angels are told to hold off on blowing those trumpets. They receive them, but they need to wait. And we see the ceremony now continues. Verses 3 and 4, it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Friends, these verses remind us that the throne room of heaven is not just the seat of God's power, but it's also a place of worship. There's an altar there in the throne room right in front of God himself, a golden altar. And now this angel, this, this new angel, presents himself before the throne of God, comes up to the golden altar, and he offers a, an act of worship. It says that the angel comes with a, a golden censer, that is to say a golden fire pan. It's something that's used to burn incense. He comes up with his golden censer, and then it says he is given much incense to offer. Presumably, God gives him the incense to offer. The angel then burns the incense on the altar, and the incense is mixed with the prayers of the saints, and it wafts up to the throne of God. Now, friends, what is going on here? Well, in the Old Testament era, when the worship of God was centered on an earthly temple, there was an altar there as well. And the priests of God would burn incense on that earthly altar. And as the smoke of that incense wafted up into the sky, the worshipers would begin to offer their prayers. They would, in essence, mix their prayers with the smoke of the incense. In fact, sometimes the prayers of God's people are even equated with incense in the Old Testament. So we have, for example, Psalm 141, verse 2, which says, Let my prayer be counted as incense to you. You see, when incense is burned, it gives off a very pleasing aroma. And so the idea here in, in the Psalm 141 prayers, God, as I offer my prayer up to you, might it be as incense to you? Might, might the words of my prayers be pleasing to you? Like incense is pleasing. This is how incense became associated with prayers in the Old Testament scriptures. But now here in the last book of the Bible, we find this, this heavenly altar. And this time, an angel of God is offering incense on the altar. And he is burning the, the incense, and the smoke of it is going up to the throne of God. And it says the smoke of that heavenly incense is being mixed with the prayers of the saints. And it is wafting up to God. Now we come to verse 5. It says, And then the angel took the censer, and he filled it with fire from the altar. So he, he's sweeping the burning embers of the incense back onto the fire pan. It says, and then he threw it on the earth. Now the end of verse 5, the noise resumes. 
And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. My friends, here's what we're witnessing in today's text. As the day of the Lord unfolds on earth, many judgments are being meted out. God is bringing an end to evil and wickedness and evildoers. He's bringing an end to it all. But at the same time, his salvation is going forth. And many, many people are being redeemed. Countless multitudes of them. And what's happening during the day of the Lord is that these individuals who have come to God now in repentance and faith, literally at the last possible hour, they're coming to God in repentance and faith, they're experiencing great hardship. They're being persecuted by the unrepentant non-believers below. They're experiencing tremendous difficulties. And so now their prayers are going up to God. They are begging God to act on their behalf. They're offering prayers like the prayers of the martyrs that we saw in chapter 6, verse 10, where they said, O Lord, sovereign and true, how long will you wait before you avenge our blood? They're offering those kinds of prayers. They're begging God to hasten his kingdom. God, bring your throne now in heaven down to earth. God, begin your kingdom on earth. Reign over the nations. Bring justice. Bring an end to evil. They're asking him to to conclude his judgments. This is what the people on earth are praying for in these desperate times. And here in today's text, we see that their prayers are making their way up into heaven, into heaven's very throne room. And we see this angel of God offering incense, mixing their prayers with the smoke of the incense, and it is wafting up to the throne of God. You see, the prayers are reaching God's ear. And then in verse 5, we see God responding to the prayers Symbolized by the angel throwing the fire pan down to earth and then the resumption of all of the calamities, the noise. Now the next round of judgments is commencing. Look down at verse 6. It says, And now, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. See, they were told to hold off for a moment. Hold off until the ceremony unfolds. Wait until this act of worship is concluded. Wait till the prayers of the saints on earth have been heard. And now, now in response to their prayers, let the trumpets be blown. This is what we're witnessing in today's text. And friends, what we have here in this text is a remarkable account of something which will one day happen. A true event that is to come in the day of the Lord. There are so many lessons for us in this text, lessons about the sovereignty of God over world affairs, lessons about the holiness and the justice of God, lessons about the grace and mercy of God. But you'll also notice here that there is a powerful lesson about prayer. There's a lesson here about prayer, and this is where I want to direct our attention for the remainder of our time together. Here in Revelation 8, verses 1 through 5, we have a passage answering the question of why we Christians should pray. Why we should seek to master the spiritual discipline of prayer. 
Friends, according to today's text, it's because God values the prayers of his people. He really does. God loves it when his people pray to him. And everything about today's text screams that truth. We see it especially here in verses 3 and 4 as the prayers of the saints are mixed with the smoke of incense and they are taken to the very throne of God. This is telling us that the prayers of God's people are like a sweet-smelling aroma to him. He loves the prayers. We also see it in the fact that the prayers are offered on an altar meaning that God sees the prayers of his people as an act of worship to him, and God delights to receive his people's worship. So friends, understand that God loves it when you pray to him. But this passage shows us something else. It also shows us that God is attentive to the prayers of his people. He's attentive to the prayers of his people. We see this also in verses 3 and 4 as the angel in this very solemn ceremony comes forward with the incense, burning it right in the very presence of God. The prayers being mixed with the incense. This is showing us that the prayers of God's people are front and center. God's eyes are fixed upon them. When you pray to God, your words reach the very throne room of heaven. They are offered as an act of worship before God, and he hears those prayers. He listens intently to them. You'll notice how the the text progressed, how the angels were given their seven trumpets, but not allowed to blow the trumpets until after the prayers were heard, and then they're given permission. This shows us God's attentiveness To his people. Now, of course, God doesn't need silence to hear our prayers. He knows all things, He hears all things. But this was for the benefit of the residents of heaven, so that they who are finite could see that God is paying attention to his people and their needs and their sufferings on earth. My friends, God values the prayers of his people. God is also attentive to the prayers of his people. But then we also see in today's text that God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish. His good purposes. Again, notice how the text unfolds. In verse 2, the trumpets are handed out, but the angels are not allowed to blow them. Then the prayers of God, saints, are offered. And after the prayers, then the next round of judgments begins. Here we see God using the prayers of His people to accomplish His good ends. Friends, here we come to the mystery of prayer. See, the scriptures teach us that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. In fact, the the prophet Isaiah says God declares the end from the beginning. There's not a, a stray molecule in this universe that is out from under the sovereign decrees of God. He controls it all. And yet the scriptures also tell us that we ought to pray. And the scriptures tell us that our prayers can truly change the course of world history. And the scriptures give us illustrations of the prayers of God's people moving God to act in different ways. And so the scriptures present us with these twin realities that God is sovereign over all things. He decrees all things, but that God also calls upon us to pray. And he uses the voluntary prayers of his people to shape his workings in the world. 
And we see it here also in Revelation 8. God has ordained the trumpet judgments, but he does not have the trumpets blown until after his people have prayed and asked for the kingdom to hasten, ask for the judgments to fall. You see, here we have here we have the sovereignty of God and the actions of man. They are not in conflict. They are working together. And God is using the prayers of his people. Now, R.C. Sproul explains the mystery a bit. He says, it's because God ordains the means as well as the ends for his divine purposes. And he says that prayer is a means God uses to bring his sovereign purposes to pass. What that means is that God ordains the end from the beginning, but he is also ordained that he should use our prayers to accomplish those purposes. Your prayers are very important. God commands us to pray. He desires us to pray. He uses our prayers to accomplish his ends. We can truly say that without our prayers, without our prayers, God will not act in ways that he otherwise would have. See, friends, through prayer, we have the the high privilege of participating in God's plans for the world and for the church. This leads us to our next important question, friends, in light of all of this, what can we do to begin excelling in our prayer lives? Seeing that God values it, that God God, um, uses it, What can we do to make prayer an important part of our lives? Well, first, we've got to make it a priority. We've got to make it a priority. Friends, that begins when we become mentally convinced of the truths of Scripture regarding prayer. See, it's not just enough to read in Scripture that God commands it, desires it, uses it, all of that. You've got to let that sink into your brain and then down into your very soul. You've got to believe that God does does want it and will use it. You must believe it. And if you believe it, then you will begin to value prayer too, just as God does. If we're going to make prayer an important part of our lives, we're also going to have to get it on our schedules. And I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, if I don't write something down, it's not going to happen. Okay? Just going to forget about it. And so in our, in our home, we have a family calendar. It lists all of the, the school activities, all the doctor's appointments. Just ev- everything is put on that family calendar. And then... Uh, Here at the church, I have a ministry calendar which records every appointment that I need to keep, everything I need to do, preaching schedule, it's, it's all laid out. If I didn't have everything written out in this way, nothing would get accomplished. I think it would do us some good to write on our schedules dedicated times for prayer. And there's good scriptural precedent for beginning and ending each day with prayer. This is what Daniel did. This is what uh, King David did. They started the day. They ended the day with times of private prayer. That would be a good idea to put on our schedules, too. But even as we dedicate times for private prayer, we should also dedicate ourselves to public prayer. We ought to pray with our families, parents. You ought to be praying regularly, daily, with your children, 
We ought to be praying regularly with our fellow church members, taking advantage of, of church-led prayer meetings and Bible studies and the like, and any other opportunity that may come. Let us pray in private. Let us also pray with other believers, with our families. Let us also offer spontaneous prayers where something just comes to mind or perhaps you're scrolling your social media feed and you see a, a need and so you want to offer a spontaneous prayer to God. Let us do that, but then let us also have, have planned prayers, prayers that are carefully thought through, maybe even manuscripted, formal prayers offered to God, much like what we do here in our public worship gatherings. Friends, there is room for private prayers and public prayer. There's room for spontaneous prayer and for carefully crafted prayer in the Christian life. You know, friend, you don't have to be an eloquent person to be a person devoted to prayer. God doesn't care how, uh, how proper your grammar and syntax is when you, when you come to Him in prayer. He, he's not parsing the tense of your verbs. He just wants a man or a woman of faith pouring out their souls to Him, expressing the righteous desires of their hearts. He wants to hear their words of praise. He wants to hear their confessions. He wants to hear their needs. He just wants us to pray. You don't have to be eloquent. You just have to be a person of faith. Friends, we must make prayer a priority in our lives. But then also we see that we should, we should pray according to God's will should pray according to God's will. Matthew chapter 6, our Lord gives us a template for prayers which are pleasing to God. We would do well to follow this basic template. In fact, it's called the Lord's Prayer. Many of you know this prayer by heart. In fact, I invite you to say it with me together. Let's begin. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. That is the pattern that our Lord would have us to pray. That is the content of the prayers that he would have us to pray. And so it begins with an acknowledgement of the greatness of God. He is the God who dwells in heaven, high above all of us, and yet He's also the God who is imminent. He hears us when we pray. We ought to pray that, that the whole world would be captured with a sense of the holiness of God. That's the request, hallowed be your name. It means, may your name be regarded as holy in all the earth. And we pray to God that His kingdom would come, which, by the way, is a prayer that the day of the Lord would hasten, seeing that that is the event which is the harbinger of His earthly kingdom. We pray, God, may Your kingdom come and may it come quickly. Come, rescue Your church. Put an end to evil once and for all. Bring heaven's throne down to earth. Do this, God, we pray. And our Lord tells us to pray for our daily bread. That means praying that God would give us just enough sustenance to stay in the fight for one more day. God, give me another opportunity to serve you. Don't give me too much, lest I come to depend on wealth. 
Don't give me too little, lest I perish. Just enough to meet today's needs. And then we pray, God, forgive me of my sins and help me to be forgiving toward those who sin against me. And we pray, God, keep me away from sin's temptations. Keep me from the power of the devil. Keep me wholly dedicated to you. And then we end in worship. Yours, O oh God, is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. And then we conclude, amen, which means may it all be so. This is how our Lord would have us to pray. My friends, we must make prayer a priority in our lives. We must pray in accordance with the will of God. We must also pray in the name of Jesus. We must pray in the name of Jesus. And that's because the scriptures tell us that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is fully God, fully man. He stands between us and the Father. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we have the righteousness imputed to us, which gives us our standing before God. And so we come to God in prayer saying, God, I do not stand before you on my own merits. I, I know that there is nothing in me that should give me the right to stand before you and make requests, but I stand underneath the protection and with the righteousness of your own Son. So hear my prayer. That's what it is to pray in the name of Jesus. And then, friends, we should conclude our prayers with expectancy. God, I know that you have the wisdom and the power to answer these requests. And I know you are a gracious God, and you will fulfill all that you have promised. Now, you might wonder, what about those unanswered prayers? We all have those requests that we have offered over and over again, but which have not yet been answered by God? Friends, when we come to those times of unanswered prayer, perhaps we can ask a few diagnostic questions. First, we can ask, have we truly been praying in line with the will of God? We can consider the request we've been offering. We can, we can measure it against the plumb line of Scripture. The Scriptures tell us what the will of God is. Is my request in keeping with God's will? We could also ask this, have I been praying with the right motives? The book of James says, you, you have not because you ask not. And then it says, and you, and you um, ask but do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So perhaps your request is a good, a righteous request, but perhaps your underlying motives for making the request are not what they should be. Maybe you're not concerned with the, the name and the kingdom of God. Maybe you're thinking rather of your own prophet. Maybe you're, you're asking God to fulfill this request for your own name's sake, for your own health or prosperity or influence. Consider whether that unanswered prayer is in line with God's will. Consider whether you've been praying with the right motives. But then also consider this. If it is a good request... If it is prayed with the right motives, then perhaps God will answer it, but he has decided not to answer it yet. See, friends, God's timetable is not the same as ours. Perhaps God's perfect timing has not yet come. Consider that prayer request in the Lord's Prayer. God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we know that's God's will? Yes. Do we know he's going to bring it about? Yes. Do we know he'll use our prayers to hasten his coming? Yes. But does that mean God will answer our requests and bring the kingdom today? No. Not necessarily. 
God has his own perfect timing. He tells us to pray for it. He tells us our prayers will make an impact on the arrival of it. But his timetable for it may still not be what ours is. Friends, this is what we are to make of unanswered prayers. But as I conclude our time together now, I will simply restate this, that of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is probably the hardest one for us to master. But maybe a text like this one, Revelation chapter 8, will give us the push we need to start out this new year with a new resolve to be people of prayer, to make it a priority in our lives, to value it as God values it, and then to see how God will use it. And let's pray together now. Lord, we thank you for this time you've given us. We thank you for this incredible privilege of prayer to think that we who are finite and fallen creatures could uh, approach you to know that the, the words of our mouths waft up into your very throne room where they are mixed with the incense of the altar and are received by you as a pleasing aroma. We cannot help but be amazed at that privilege. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to dedicate ourselves to prayer. And Lord, would you use our prayers to build your church, to hasten the arrival of your kingdom. We long for that day to come, because we know then all that is wrong will finally be made right. Then your son will finally receive the homage of all nations, just as he is due. We pray these things in his name. Amen.